when we talk about psychology, a lot of people think, ah, you're gonna put me on the chair and start asking me a lot of questions and psychoanalyze me. Which normally it's not the case. Psychology is the science of the human behavior. So we work with human behavior. We observe, we analyze, and we try to make small adjustments with the ultimate goal is to gain high performance on a quality-wise and consistency-wise. Welcome to the Your Data Driven Podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to visit our website at yourdatadriven.com for more useful help and advice on setting up your race car, mastering data analysis, and driving faster. Welcome to episode 29. Today I'm talking to Tal Ziv, a performance psych who has worked with some of the best pro drivers and race engineers in the business. Tal comes highly recommended to the show by previous guest Jorge Sagers. But what really is the contribution of psychology in racing? Where's the link to lap time? The motorsports community has long survived without this kind of expertise. So where's the gap now and how can it really help you with your performance on track? It's a topic that doesn't often get talked about, particularly on the performance side in racing. It's an absolutely fascinating show and I hope you get a lot from it. So, as ever, sit back, grab a pen, grab a coffee, and let's hear what Tal has to say. So, welcome, Tal. Thank you, Samir. Hello. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. I appreciate you calling in all the way from Barcelona in the heat. We're going to have a little bit of conversation today about you and try and understand your background and your contribution to the world of motorsport which i'm sure everyone listening will be really interested about we're going to talk about the mental side that human side of performance and if we could work towards maybe what we could do as listeners to the show like maybe there's one or two things that you've seen through your work working with all, all these amazing drivers that you we could go yeah actually I can take that idea or that concept or that way of thinking, something that you've seen pretty common across all the drivers you work with that we can maybe relate to and go, actually, that would really help me. One or two takeaways, as well as listening to some of the stories that you have, I'm sure. How does that sound? Sounds great. Hopefully, I will, uh, the objective, the targets of the conversation, but I think we will, we will be fine. It's a, let's make it clear from the beginning. And then basically where it ends up is where it ends up. So tell us a bit about you. How did you get into racing? I don't think you just do racing. I think you do other sports as well. So what is it that you do and, and how did you get into it? So it's a nice question. It's actually an interesting answer. I learned the psychology and mastered in sports psychology in, uh, in Barcelona, Spain. And then after I uh, finished my uh, master's, I started to look for a job. My first contact with motorsport was quite by luck. I found myself in a racetrack. And after a couple of meetings with the, the owner that his son was uh, driving and competing, we started to work. And I'm not talking too long ago, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, before that, my contact with motorsport was quite limited. But to be honest, it was a love from my first side, from my side. It does tend to do that to you. People either love it and then it becomes part of their life and they can't get rid of it. Or... They're not interested and they don't understand what we're talking about. I, I immediately wanted to learn and learn and learn and ask so much questions and still asking and still discovering. And I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating because it's very complex, my point of view, for many aspects. And the conditions that the human being 
mental, cognitive, also physical for sure. Okay, this sport requires are quite impressive. So for me, it's a very interesting and very challenging work. If you're starting out with someone new or you're working with that, with that kid in the go-karts and everything, where do you start with that? Because as you, know, you might know, I've had some exposure to the world of Olympic sports and how they use a support team around them, coaches, sports scientists, but also psychologists. And it's not, I think, it's not that well understood in motorsports about the psychology because perhaps it's been treated before as a kind of a remedial thing, whereas in sports now, it's very much addition to the performance. So how would you think about that? How would you start with someone who is new and maybe they were cautious and think, well, what are you going to do for me? It's a good question. We have to, to understand that it depends uh, first on the age of the, of the athlete or the driver. Uh, and the category. If we're talking about uh, young drivers, normally you get approached by the father or the mother. And technically, when you meet the guy, most it's drivers, but sometimes it's girls. Uh, it's it's more about the dynamic, uh, how easy he feels with you to, to get with you. And then uh, you start asking some questions. For sure, very important to see on track. Uh, on and off the track, but in uh, race weekend to see how the behavior, how he's holding on, how he's reacting to some big unpredictable stuff that every weekend is unpredictable. And from that, you're building a baseline working uh, program and to see where we can improve, which aspects we can improve, etc. If you could describe your contribution, how do you sum that up? Because as I say, some people listening maybe, or traditionally in motorsports, have not seen uh, a gap, not seen a need for someone with your skill set to add value to the team. So how would you describe that value add? What is it that you would bring to them? Or, or bring to someone in that, if, if someone was like not sure what there is there, how would you help them understand that? As we said, information uh, or knowledge is power. So when we speak about the psychologist terms, we sometimes have to clarify a bit more. When we talk about psychology, a lot of people think, ah, you're gonna put me on the chair and start asking me a lot of questions and psychoanalyze me, which normally it's not, uh, it's not the case, normally. If we part from the idea that psychology is the science of the human behavior. So we work with human behavior and we observe, we uh, analyze, and we try to make small adjustments uh, in terms of human behavior with the ultimate goal is to gain high performance on a quality-wise and consistency-wise. How would you practically do that? So say, I, I don't know, I've got a race coming up and I always get really nervous beforehand. And I know after the first lap, I relax into it and I'm okay. But And I know that, and I've been doing that loads. And whether it's a track day or a race, I still get really nervous. So how would you help someone manage that? Or, or is that just a case of accepting it? Or is there nothing you could do? Is that something you'd help them with? It's interesting point that you, you brought up. Sport and motorsport by itself is a stressful context for the human being. We move fast. There's a lot of danger and there's competition. So uh, we cannot really escape from stress. I will tell you more. Uh, a bit of stress is good for us. It helps us to, to be active, to be alert, uh, to be sharp. As you said, uh, to accept. Yes, we should accept 
that we're about to experiment some uh, uh, levels of stress. Second phase, it will be to find which is our optimal level of stress. We want to have stress uh, in order to perform. We need some stress in order to learn uh, faster. Uh, but normally, it's not all of the cases, the level of stress is higher than we need. So first, we, we set our values of level of stress to understand where we want to be. And then we explain, we clarify what is stress, what is the symptoms of stress, how to identify stress. So as a sports psychologist, we work on uh, giving the person, whatever athlete it is, tools to better know himself uh, and to be able to uh, adjust to the circumstances or to the new context uh, that is uh, coming on. I suppose one of the good things about motorsport is that whilst it's very complicated and there are all these different things that happen, it, it is actually quite predictable in a way because you know you've got these specific types of activity that you will do. You've got a practice, you've got a qualifying, you've got a race which has component parts, it's got a start, it's got different phases of the race depending on where you're at. So there's all sorts of different scenarios I imagine that you can get people to think through and then I suppose it's, it's about giving them some tools to be self-aware. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or In a way, yes. Again, I always said that the athlete that knows himself better is much more dangerous than the <laughs> other opponent. Sorry. He knows himself better, he's able to self-adjust himself in the uh, lifetime. We try to, to identify uh, symptoms of stress, either they're physiological, either they're cognitive, either they're emotional, uh, to uh, channelize or to reconduct this strong power with, that we call the stress into uh, a more productive outcome. Uh, so you said, okay, I'm a bit stressed. What do I do? This is the question of for me, the million bucks question. <laughs> so I had a racing driver on here on the show and I asked him, he's a professional racing driver. He's done more touring car races than anyone else. 300 races or something at professional level. I'm saying, Matt, do you still get nervous? He goes, Samir, I get really nervous. And I said, well, how do you cope with that? And he goes, well, I have particular routines. So I have to get out of bed the same way, I have to have breakfast the same way, I have to get in the car the same way. When I'm in the car, I've got a set of routines that I go through that I just check all the different switches and all the different things as I'm coming up onto the line. I try and put a plan together to think about two or three rough scenarios that I might try and, that might play out in front of me, depending on where I start on the grid. And I just keep on running myself through these little routines until the lights go out and I can relax. And he said, that's what works for me. And I was quite surprised really, because this guy's got so much experience and I'm thinking that's great to hear because it gives us some comfort listening because if he's still getting nervous, then you know we shouldn't beat ourselves up for it. So there's almost this two things is I'm nervous and then I feel as if I shouldn't be, but maybe that's you know making it worse for ourselves almost. For my side, as I said before, is we need some level of stress in order to perform. Sure. The concept of stress shouldn't be, oh, I'm stressed, and this is a bad thing. No, no. Stress gives us a edge. It gives us a, some kind of uh, a plus. I like what you yeah. said a minute ago. You said about learning faster. 
I've never yes. heard that before. Is that is that true? Is that a thing? You learn faster? Uh, let's say, let's talk about a young uh, driver that is, he needs to learn, he is lacking experience, not like the driver that you said now. So he's discovering himself and he needs to learn because this is the chron chronological moment for him to to become a driver or to gain the skills of a driver, technical and tactical. So, ordinarily, normally, if the driver is finding himself in a calm, confident, and with curiosity to learn, and is able to control a bit the anger, which sometimes we need anger to also to perform, but is able to control the anger. And so when he's out after one session, and he has to give feedback to, to the team. And normally the teams are very motivated to, to work and to help and to direct. And he's letting them to, to lead this moment and to listen to examples and ideas. And then he's still in the same mode, open-minded to try new things on track, even though maybe it's not the moment to find the best time. It's the moment to learn this, the, the track. Uh, in order to get to qualifying with much information possible, not only information theoretical, also practical. So yeah, I've seen great guys or great uh, improvements, which guys that uh, changed a bit their attitude and their uh, learning curve was much faster. In the end, uh, we don't have a lot of time to perform on track. It's, everything goes fast. You have 20 minutes of free practice and that's it. It's a challenge, but we're there to, to give the support for the driver to observe maximum information possible and then to be able to filter which information he needs now and which information he can address later. So I've got a question for you about goals and setting goals because I think that's quite difficult to do. I think that's quite challenging because the obvious goal is to say, I just want to win or I want to set the lap record, or I just want to be at the front. But there's so much outside of your control as a driver that goes into that goal. So you might win, you might not drive very well, everyone might fall off. It's like, have you achieved your goal? Or some would say, yes, they have. They were the only one not to fall off the track. But part of you also goes, actually, what is it that I'm trying to do here? And so what does success look like? So if you're trying to help a driver define that, who has some development to go, so they're not at the front, they might be in the middle of the pack. How do you help them, or do you help them, work through this kind of goal setting and this kind of, you know, I've come 10th again, but last week they were 15th, or whatever. How do you work with them around their goal setting? Again, a very good question. I think setting goals, it's one of the best tools that we can work with, but it should be done properly. As you said, I want to win. Okay, very nice. Everybody wants to win. So what we try to do is to set two types of goals. One, we call it the goals in terms of a result. So short, medium term, which result I want to gain. But in parallel, and this is the, the main focus for our job, is to find a, what we call way goals. What goals should I accomplish on the way in order to have the best opportunity to reclaim the goals uh, in terms of a uh, result. As you said before, to win not only depends on me. There is a machine that has a very big impact on the driver, 
Uh, also, there is a team that uh, is uh, composed by human beings. We make mistakes. Uh, so, and also there are opponents. Sometimes they're better than me, sometimes they're not better than me. There's a lot of uh, conditions. But we will fight hard to have the opportunity or the best opportunity to accomplish our uh, result goal. What kind of goals we set uh, with drivers? Uh, I can give you some examples. Communication, for example. Communication with the team, fundamental. It's not only communication, it's also collaboration and cohesion. It's, in the end, there's one, uh, one star that is on the track, but there's a whole team, depends on the level of competition, but there's a whole team behind him that has a big impact on the outcome. So the ability to communicate well with my race engineer or with my uh, driving coach or uh, with my uh, mechanic, uh, not only on a professional level, but also on a personal level. Uh, we, can, we can improve a lot there. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, things to do on track to, to improve the things, uh, to be part of uh, the team, to maybe to lead the team as a driver. There are concepts that we, we work on. And also, in terms of goals that we set, is to work on our patience. The patience is a big uh, issue for drivers. <laughs> you design to, to be fast all of the time and to be quick. But time space can be more uh, profitable for us. It can uh, reduce quantity or frequency of uh, mistakes. It can hold us back when we need to and not to be so impulsive. Another goal that we can work on is to learn or to improve our ability to manage our emotion. Uh, emotions in sport, it's a huge, this for my side, it's a huge uh, topic and we work very close with this uh, approach. So just to pick up on the emotions bit, what does good look like for that? So is it that you have no emotion or is it that you show emotion or allow yourself to have emotion but equally you, you you recover quite quickly from that point of view or is it that you're um steve peters or something with the chimp paradox i probably i shouldn't mention that to you everyone probably says about it but it's one of the, the idea of, of having your brain kind of fighting itself almost and you you've got an emotional response that your brain is trying to look after you but you're like the other part of your brain is saying don't worry about it and it's so that you have a little fight within your own head about what happens and how well you're able to do that or even aware of that is happening so what's your thoughts on that <laughs> uh, unfortunately in a professional way aspects such as emotion we will need two hours more to debate yeah. but i will summarize to you more cut to the chase emotions of the human being it's part of ourselves it's part of our uh, internal subjective aspects uh, there is not, no such thing as no emotion. Maybe emotion under control or in very low uh, intensity. But emotions are always inside us. They're always functioning. The trick is to acknowledge, to understand, and to define what are the emotions. I can give you an example, very representative example. As I mentioned before, that the team also is a big uh, part of the performance on track. So several years ago, I did a workshop with race engineers, only race engineers. And we spoke about communication abilities, uh, handling pressure, uh, because also the other side of the wall is under pressure, a very high pressure. And we have to be, take it in consideration. 
So as race engineers and data engineers, very IQ level, very high, very high. So I sat in a room with, <laughs> you know, I entered the room and said, how many IQ there is here? Very smart people, really, very motivated. They know a lot about every, a lot of things. But at the moment I popped the question, gentlemen, who can defy emotion? Suddenly a big silence in the, in the room and nobody could define emotion without using the, the, the words emotion. Which is illegal. You can't do that, can you? You can't yeah, use the yeah, same yeah. word to define. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in order to manage this, uh, this power that we have inside, which different kinds, there's different types of emotion. We have happiness, we have rage, we have sadness, disappointment, uh, we have uh, lack of patience, we have a lot of types that uh, love and hate. That's another good point that you're making there, is that I've implicitly implied that emotions are negative, but in actual fact, there's all the positive emotions as well. And if you're racing, the one you want is to be standing on the top of the podium, absolutely elated. Yeah, sorry, I just thought I'd pick up on that because I, I realized that I've, I'd naturally, in the same way as people have naturally put psychology in a kind of remedial, we're gonna sit you in the chair, equally when people talk about emotions, maybe, they always think of the positive ones as well, yeah. Emotions, again, we need some more time to develop this uh, argument, but emotions by itself has to do with uh, surviving and with uh, evolution. We need fear because we fear from the fire, because if we're not fear the fire, we're going to get burned, uh, basically speaking. So we refer, at least in the science of emotions, we refer to emotion as pleasant or non-pleasant not uh, as uh, bad or good. Some emotions are pleasant, some emotions are not pleasant. But they all are, uh, we need them all in order to keep on uh, living. So this regarding your comments. If we want to start to, to be able to, not to control, but to manage better our emotions, first step is to define and to understand which are emotions. The same way that when we want to uh, be able to break on the breaking point and to understand where is the breaking point, there it's quite obvious. Okay, we do some kind of trials to, to see where, where is the breaking point, but it's quite obvious because, because we can see it. The problem with uh, emotion, but you not really see it, we can uh, notice some uh, symptoms. So in order to manage them better, first we have to understand what they are, they, to, they, to define them, to understand what they are. I've got one here linked to this actually, but it's this kind of, have you got any tips for this internal voice that you have when you're driving? So you're going round or performing and when you've got so much stuff to do, you've got other cars on the track that you're trying to irritate, other cars behind you, wanna, you don't want to keep behind you. It is linked to all of this, but are there tips or maybe one or two things that you could do just to help us manage that voice? such that, because it's almost distracting in a way, like you can be focused on the other cars and then all of a sudden, obviously this might just be me, I'll be thinking about something that's happening in the paddock or something that's happening at work or something, yet yeah, I'm still going around. And you almost have to give yourself a thing, get back in there. And it's, I don't know whether that's personal to me or what. No, it's not, no, it's not. First, when you say internal voice, we have to make, again, to be more clear. Internal voice could be also, uh, a productive tool. A lot of people talk to themselves to to put them, yeah, to put them up, to gain more uh, rage, to uh, kick some ass. So, if you were you're referring to internal voice or a non-productive or destructive internal voice, uh, in this sense, I will say the the following: 
Sometimes a lot of thoughts or lack of concentration can come to us of the human mechanism, the human behavior. How we improve that, we'll refer to it in a second. But once you're in the car and you have, let's, let's say, destructive thoughts that, oh, shit, I'm going to fuck this quality again. This is the, this again and again. So first accept, okay, this is what I'm thinking now. Acknowledge. And then if you acknowledge on shortly, uh, short time, you're able to reconduct your focus uh, on uh, the task in hand. Uh, but if, if these voices are continually uh, repeating themselves, uh, I would assume that the work should be uh, concentrate not on this moment, but on a more uh, personal level uh, outside of the, the, the car to understand which kind of thought you have. Uh, mostly it's an outcome of fear of la- or lack of confidence or maybe lack of knowledge or not knowledge, information about the track. Sometimes uh, drivers are not sure about the uh, technical or uh, points on the track. So when there's more uh, space to the unknown, there's uh, more space to, to doubts. And then a lot of uh, demons start to, to talk to us. So yeah. I saw that many times, clarifying uh, information and uh, going out of track with the ideas more clear. Not 100%, but a bit more clear comes the, the guy and is uh, able to execute what he planned to do, what the team planned to do. It's funny you say about that because I have some experience with data analysis and data coaching for drivers. And then I've got a course that I'm trying to help you if you want to learn yourself. And one of the things that I was really had to think about was like, why would you want to do that? Like, I'm just a bit nerdy and I like it and I didn't take too much persuading. I'm an engineer and I'm used to this kind of thing. But if you're not, if you're not comfortable with computers or you're not comfortable with this technical aspect and, you, and maybe you're doing it yourself and you haven't got a lot of time and it, you just, and it does take a little bit of, a little bit of effort to do this analysis, why would you bother? And it was quite hard thought process for me to unravel what is actually the, the core thing going on here but what you're talking about having that clarity of knowing what to do in each corner is one of the things that I, I feel that's the contribution that data can help you if you've had someone interpret it or you've done it yourself they can say look this is how to do that corner don't worry about it you're doing it great just keep on doing what you're doing Otherwise, you can start to get yourself to a position where you're second-guessing yourself. And quite often, a lot of the things are quite counterintuitive, I found, in that you can do a corner and you think, oh, that was good. And then you can do it and it not be quite, it doesn't feel quite as good, yet it was quicker and it was actually safer and less risky. And you think, oh, if I'd only known that, I wouldn't have felt that naturally, but the data's helped me reassure me that I can do that corner and not lose any time. At least from my point of view, we were with drivers since uh, quite a young age uh, mm. to be involved in the process. Uh, again, depend on the age, depend on the, on the category, because sometimes if it's if the guy is too or the kid is too young, is uh, not able uh, to digest uh, this level of information. But from 16, 17 years old, they can already uh, be very involved in the process. At least from my point of view, a driver that is, has his own criteria and his knowledge in the mechanical and the data, data aspects, he can feel better uh, what he needs. He can, um, he can separate or can make the, to distinguish, is it 
driver, my driver's side, or maybe it's the car. And also the way to communicate with the engineer, it's much more efficient. And we, we're gaining time. When they speak the same language, we're gaining time. And time, it's a big factor. It's a big factor. And from session to session. And some drivers, now we're talking on the top level, some drivers want to be on top of everything. And they have a very high knowledge of uh, as an engineer. I don't know if it suits to everybody, every high-level uh, driver, but I think uh, basic um, knowledge is uh, fundamental. It's fundamental all to, to improve and to show performance. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a balance there because as an engineer, when I'm driving, I have guilty of overanalyzing or, or being too analytical in the car. And that's one of my ones is that I have to like, just shut up and drive and just don't worry about it. But having the clarity and the confidence being able to read the data and go that's given me personally a lot of confidence and i know it's given other people confidence who i've worked with in the sense of and they're like i'll go with you but having and like you say yeah it's important just to find that way just do that and you'll be fine and they'll be like you sure and i'm like yeah and like you say yeah it's important just to find that right the right balance there but i think the goal is the clarity for the driver not we're super smart engineers and we know all this stuff that's they're not in the car. So it's the driver going around, so it's a way of they have to be clear so that we don't have these things where the mind's wandering off when they're not focused on all these other things. So so who, what kind of what kind of levels have you worked with? Because it sounds like you've worked with some F2, F3, and is it the same across different types of categories, maybe endurance? I've been working from, uh, from go-karting to F2, F3, uh, DTM, uh, F1, different categories kids or to professionals. The challenge is always there. The satisfaction is always there. A lot of time we, we feel bad and we feel frustrated most of the times, but... That's why you're there, to cheer us all up. This is fun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could have said that earlier, actually. You could say, the only reason I'm here is to cheer everyone up when we've had a rubbish weekend. <laughs> no, but I think what you said before, you said the key word called balance. And you asked me before, what is my function with the athletes or with the teams? Most of the time is to, to push for the balance. Push, push for balance. And athletes are, and race drivers are extreme people because it's an extreme sport. We need this, uh, this edge, but if we work on a high RPM all of the time, it's not, uh, it's not productive. We need to find uh, these moments to shift down. And this is where I come in, uh, on a personal level and on a professional level. For example, I worked with Olympic sailor a couple of years ago. Very talented guy, very, very talented guy. He was very motivated, he still is. And I had a lot of discussions with that uh, mate. It's time to go out and have a beer with your friends, the girl. And he was uh, very focused on, oh, I want to work on the, on the boat. I want to work on the boat. My colleagues are, or my opponents are uh, gaining uh, time with me. And to find the balance, to find to the time to time out, to put away a bit the sport and focus on personal needs, which are also important. But it's not easy. They are very motivated and they're stubborn, which is good. But we look for the balance. We look for the balance. It's strength training, isn't it? Where the effort of lifting the dumbbell is not where you develop your muscle. That's actually ripping it all apart. This is what I understand. Just. Forgive me, I, I, I pick up little bits and pieces. 
But yeah, so the actual act of you doing your, you know, 15 or 20 reps with a dumbbell, that's ripping your muscles apart. And then it needs the rest time to rebuild back bigger. So it's the pacing of when you're doing the intense activity, but then the rest time is as or more important than the actual activity, but you're not doing anything. Do, do you see what I mean? It's like you just have to be patient for your body to sort that out. This is on the physiological level, the, the mental level, yeah. the same philosophy. But mentally, it's hard not to do something. Although you are doing something, you're doing active recovery, but it's not, you might feel as if you're not working hard enough. It's true, it's true. My experience tells me that the athletes, when they try something, not only debating on it, first we debate on the one-on-one -on -one and we brought bring up a, a concept that okay this is time to after a race take one day two days to if you don't have any other obligations of course and some days to to fulfill your needs as a person to be with your girlfriend to be with your parents with your brother with your sister whatever go uh, do some uh, laundry whatever uh, in the, the beginning, there's a lot of resistance because, no, no, this is, a, as you said, I'm not doing anything, it's unacceptable. Once you, you're able to give them, they give it a, a chance and they try it and they feel the difference after they coming back and their head is more clear and they feel recharged and they think on the track uh, more clear and more calm, then we have a big step forward. But it's the, the meaning, it's the, the give it a chance. And they have to believe in what you said, because if not, uh, we don't do anything. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's very difficult. And I think that's where someone like yourself would help that process. Or it's someone in your, with your position, in the sense of when you get to professional motorsport, what happens, and this happens in all sports, the, you're still doing the same job as someone who just takes themselves to a racetrack it's just at scale so you've got more specialists in each piece of the puzzle the, the job of preparing the car getting in it driving in a circle going home is the same but at a professional level you just you're just able to little you know divide up and do each of those components in a much more expert way so everyone's doing the psychology whether they realize it or not and so what you're able to do is i suppose bring like some expertise to that area and so well, actually it's positives as well as negatives and all that sort of thing so i've got a question for you one of the things is confidence on the track and particularly say in a high speed corner i've had engineers race engineers formula one etc on the show talking to me about where to find the most time on a lap and from an engineering point of view the most time on a lap is going to come in the slow corners because you just spend more time in them however i talk to the driver coaches and they say that's all very well Samir, but people are scared <laughs> to do the high speed corners so we spend most of our time trying to encourage them and and give them confidence in the high speed corners so have you got any tips for for helping us develop confidence in the car it's a good question confidence it's a very uh, fragile aspect for uh, athletes it's very fragile you cannot imagine how much even the the strongest guys that you you see from outside they have doubts they have doubts and it's okay they're the human beings the human beings are doing magic on the track, but it's okay. Regarding how to how to work on confidence, I think we have to see it in a, we should see it in a two ways or two aspects which are related one to another. And because the human beings, even though they're doing special stuff, they're still human beings. 
they have their own life and their own personality and their own uh, circumstances. And many times, if we work on personal uh, aspects, on how to, let's say, improve the relationship with your father, a father figure normally in a motorsport is a big issue. It's an issue, not a positive, not a negative. It's an issue to take in consideration. And for me, normally it's positive because without the fathers, uh, they will not be drivers, not uh, genetically and not uh, normally. But also the fathers or the mothers are a very big uh, source of uh, confidence. If they know how to, or they've been uh, instructed maybe better, they can give, they can boost the, the athlete, unbelievable. So when we talk about personal life and confidence, we can gain a lot there. When you're coming more relaxed and your uh, discussion with your girlfriend before the racetrack is done already, and you're not anxious to, to call her ever, every 30 minutes, and she's not calling you every 30 minutes, uh, we gain some things there. And there's much more, but I'm just giving practical. Yeah, I love those examples because they're really ones that people can relate to, but they may not have associated that with their confidence on the track. This is the confidence. It's part of who we are. A lot of people say uh, when he puts the, the helmet on, it's a different person. On my side, it's the same person. It's just when he's on the track in a very extreme conditions. But the person is the same person. The context is changing, not the person. And regarding how to gain more confidence on track. So we said before, come with your ideas clear for, to the racetrack. There's a lot of work to do pre-racetrack, to know the layout, to, to see some data from last race. Also to be a bit patient. We spoke about the objectives before. What is my objective? To be first? Maybe. But is it to, to gain confidence on the track and to understand the, the machine I'm driving and to build up in order to, to go to FP2 more experience? Uh, yeah, for sure we want to be P1 all of the time. But is it our main objective now? We should discuss this. And the idea is to, to build up the, the sensation of under control or to be more in control to the qualifying session. And then uh, we go to, to the race. Uh, it's small steps. And to be aware to what am I feeling in this moment? Uh, confidence has to do with, with feelings, but it's not an easy task. It's something that we worked on outside of the track, and then we applied it on the track. But it, it takes time. But for sure, there's a lot of uh, things to do and to improve. I've seen people, I've seen guys like, making huge steps, huge steps in the sense of, of confidence. You spoke about high-speed corners. I think when the person is more accepting who he is, it's a big word, but who is his context, where he's coming from, is more calm from a lot of issues that happens outside of the racetrack. And when he's in the spot, everything is more fluent, flow. Less thinking, more driving. That's quite interesting because I think a lot of people whilst who are listening, yeah, that whilst they may not be on a professional ladder for, for racing, they do have a very busy life outside of racing. And often a lot of the people are very successful in work, which comes with its own pressures in their day job, but that enables them to go racing at the weekend because obviously it's not a free sport. So being able to being aware like how do I maybe there's a way of managing 
some kind of separation or compartmentalization or some element of parking some of those stresses so you don't bring them on the track. I don't know if that's really the right way to think about it, but... I, I assume that the, the, these guys are going to race because they want to forget about their business. This is the weird thing, yeah. And you do often wonder, like you do see a lot of glum faces around the racetrack <laughs> in the paddock. And you're like, why are we all doing this? Because <laughs> we're just making ourselves miserable. But there is that, you do it for the excitement and the love and like cars or the passion around the sport and just you're trying to whatever your motivation is in terms of your aspirations for getting in the car. But the, yeah, it's not it's not as going out with your friends or your girlfriend or whatever. It's no, it's a very committing sport. It's very committing sport. Yeah. Uh, referring to your question, uh, I think first step will be uh, to acknowledge that uh, sometimes some things are on my mind and th- some things shouldn't be on my mind when I'm driving. For many guys and girls as well, but for many guys, we have a lot of ego. I'm strong, I'm uh, brave, nobody can touch me, etc., etc. But no, sometimes we're vulnerable. We, when the, the, you know, the moment that we admit it, then we're more open to, to find solutions. But if nothing is wrong with me, uh, so there's a lot wrong. And so that's, and that's quite interesting for people helping that driver because someone like myself looking at the numbers you, you can see it if you look at the throttle trace for example that uh, a friend of mine it says it's like a window into their it's a window into their mind looking at the throttle trace how confident are they getting on the throttle on the corner exit and if it's all over the place they're not they might come and complain about the car but you know it's like hang on are you okay yes so that but that's quite a difficult conversation for the engineer and yes. or, or whoever's response, I say engineer, because so, so that you're aware of that who are in, you know at an amateur level they may not officially be called an engineer. They just may might be helping you out with your data or might be your team. But we spoke a little bit before about what makes a good engineer. So why is your guy a great engineer? He'll be uh, listening now. So careful. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Why is he a good engineer? Because first uh, on the technical side and from my humble point of view. Uh, I will refer it the other way. Um, more than one driver that they drove with him, uh, for him, and I'm talking of drivers, told me, yoga is top. So this is one. Secondly, I was uh, I had the privilege to, to be in quite a lot of races uh, on the, in the box, collaborating, working with the team, and of course with yoga in this uh, moment. And his ability to connect to the driver uh, when it's starting the weekend or when it's very high level uh, stress moment, the drivers looks at him and they, they put the trust on him. And not because he's, uh, he's putting a nice sunglasses, no, because he's a hard <laughs> worker and he's very uh, professional and he is direct. When he knows something, he will tell you. When he needs a couple of more minutes, he will tell you, I need a couple of more minutes, I'm not sure. And this connection made or produced a huge connection. Team, yoga team uh, driver produced, this what I saw, a great uh, great performance. So again, it's about that, that human side, isn't it? Even though we're talking about the engineering input, but it's the, it, there's two elements, I'm making this up, but there's two elements, it seems. There's the, what the engineer has to say, so what they've discovered in the information that can help the driver, but also how they're managing themselves 
to make sure that information is received in a way that it's going to be effective that makes sense there's sort of two bits to it so setting expectations you might summarize it as i suppose but i'm 100 percent agreeing with you it's 100 percent agreeing with me that sounds hard to me that sounds pretty tough that sounds, that sounds hard to do because it's a stressful situation for them as well, like you say. So, look. no, but it's it's a very it's a very uh, difficult task for the race engineer. They are under pressure. They are a lot under pressure. Everybody's pushing hard, and they required to produce a lot of uh, analysis in short time to make very important decisions in short time. And as you said, to commu- to be able to communicate with the driver, it's not only to say something it's also that the driver will accept the message accept i don't say agree or not agree there can be a debate for sure but accept the the message and to consider it as a possibility to ex- execute this is a different level of uh, communication yeah so that takes a great relationship and, and maturity i think on on people's parts Look, we could talk all day. I'm absolutely loving it. I just want to say, look, yeah, thank you so much. It's been really like fascinating. If you were to leave us with one or two things, you think, okay, this I've seen this on all the drivers I've worked with, and this is one thing that your, you know, Samir, your listeners might be really fascinated to hear about. You know, one or two things, or just maybe one thing, just to leave us with, just as a takeaway. And say, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and try that this weekend and see what it, you know, see what difference it could make. The answer of every psychologist it depends. But for me, now talking seriously, I would say to you this: magic pill doesn't exist. There's no such thing as magic pill that uh, you put something in the engine, you play something in the engine, suddenly the car goes faster. And the human being doesn't work like this. So if we take in consideration this, uh, we have to put our uh, focus uh, on hard work, on dedication, on passion, and most of all is to have fun. When we have fun, things uh, goes more smoothly. Forget about uh, all the trouble. Just put that, forget, put it aside. Let's just have fun for this weekend. Uh, winning, losing, I'm talking about for uh, amateurs, no? That they're more into into the into the experience. Uh, have fun, but also for uh, professional athletes, they're doing it because they have passion for the sport, and when they're able to connect with this basic instinct of passion, uh, suddenly things getting better. It's interesting. You were saying about working with the younger athletes in in racing, and and for me, that's quite similar to the stages that a lot of the ath- amateur racers are at. And they're, mm-hmm. they just ha- they've, they're, they're at that level, but with much more space of time between each activity that they do. And then they go out and they've got like family and life and all that sort of stuff going on. So, so motor racing, but you made the great point there of like, we're, we're doing racing to get away from all the stresses of life. And yet it's quite stressful. Mate, it's, it's going fast. In a, evolutionary wise, we're not built to move that fast. It's quite new that they only in the, the last 80 years, the normal human being, not the pilots or whatever, like normal human being can move. It's, it's something that it's out of our nature. So it creates, uh, it's stress, for sure it's stress. But what we said before, when stress is not uh, perceived as a bad word or bad concept, suddenly your ability to, to manage it is a bit better. That big, big uh, step, but small. 
No magic pill, small steps, small adjustments. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to segue that because I think fun is fundamental and it's what's, and the lovely thing that that permeates, like you say, from, from professional down to the amateur doing it, we all, we all do it to have fun. And some of the best athletes, I had a guy on the show a few weeks back from Olympic sports and he said, Samir, once you peel away all the layers from the very, very best athletes, they just absolutely love it. They absolutely love, doesn't matter what sport it is, they absolutely love playing their sport. And that's very relevant to what we're talking about here. So maybe to link that back to some of the self-awareness things that we've been discussing in the show, if you're feeling yourself nervous or you're feeling yourself confident or you're feeling that some of these things are coming in from the outside, maybe there's a, a, re- a mechanism that you can think about. Something you can think about that will bring a smile back to your face. You'll go quicker <laughs> as well. <laughs> no magic beards and have fun. There we go. Look, just thank you so much. It's been a real honor to have you on. Thank you, Samir. It was a great pleasure for me, really. Great pleasure. When I'm talking to motivate people, it motivates me. So I got motivated even more today. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, what did you think about that? I hope that by listening to what Tal has to say and how he explains his work, it will give you a lot to think about next time you're heading to the track. So much of what he is saying here, I feel, is about self-awareness and self-acceptance. Balancing these kind of softer aspects against the more traditional alpha ego of racing, I find a fascinating kind of juxtaposition. It's not a traditional topic to talk about, so thanks for sticking around this far, and I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. You may know that at the end of season one, I wrote the Motorsports Playbook, a summary distilling the first 20 shows into nuggets of wisdom. I made the notes so that you don't have to. If you've not got it yet, go and grab yourself a copy from the website. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit us at yourdatadriven.com.